how do you make a gilt? And everybody goes, well, it's a gilt. Well, that's a pig that makes pigs. And most of the manufacturing guys go, okay, how's that work? Well, first you need a bunch of baby pigs. You either make them or you buy them, right? So that started somewhere. It's a circular loop, but we get baby pigs. We grow them. There's gestation. And then you get to the point where some of them go to the market. Some of them turn into an asset. Oh, now it's a manufacturing resource that needs to be serviced and maintained and has forecasting yield. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now... Here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm Elevate IQ. Agriculture and food and beverage industries are unique beasts. When it comes to their ERP needs, they have unique traceability requirements that you might not find with most companies. They also have unique formulation and their product management processes are fairly involved. One process that is unique with these industries is the field to four process, where the traceability and form accounting requirements might throw your ERP implementation off. If you have not selected the right tool designed for this industry, and then the process doesn't end even if you have shipped the goods from your dock due to the recall requirements. In today's episode, we invited a panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn who brings significant expertise to discuss field-to-fork business processes and best practices. We covered many grounds including the scope, process boundaries, food production, and catch-weight issues, and the challenges in accounting and business processes because of the uncertainty of the processes. Finally, we discussed the shipping cost and traceability issues in the seafood industry and why the agriculture industry faces unique challenges even if pharma and medtech are able to manage similar challenges due to the advancements with standards in those industries. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello everyone, welcome to today's show. And if you're joining for the first time, this is part of our digital transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. We pick one topic related to digital transformation and we always have a very exciting panel that is willing to share their insights and wisdom. For today, we have a very interesting topic because this is from my industry that we generally don't talk on this panel or be in the series. So for today, we are going to be talking about agriculture industry, and it has a very unique process called field to fork. We are going to be taking a deep dive into that process. Before we do that, we are going to start with everybody's intros, and I am going to start with my intro. If you don't know who I am, I am Sam Gupta. I am principal at Elevate IQ. I have been leading uh, ERP and digital transformation engagement for the last 20 years, and we have done some work in the agriculture space. So this topic is near and dear to my heart as Elevate IQ. We are the independent ERP and digital transformation consulting firm. 
we help our clients with the business process re-engineering, business case development, enterprise architecture, system architecture, uh, you know, ERP project recovery, and ERP implementations. On that note, I am going to start with Chris's intro. Thank you, Sam. I'm Chris Garadini. I'm actually the president and owner of Turnkey Technologies. We've been implementing Microsoft Dynamics ERP and CRM for a little over 27 years. So I've had the pleasure of working with a diversity of agricultural clients. So I look forward to sharing some of those stories today with all of you. Thank you. It's going to be so exciting. Thank you so much for being here, Chris. All right. So I'm actually going to move to Abu. Uh, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. My name is Abu, and I'm the CEO and founder here at Panny Management. So we are a Sage XC partner, and personally, I've been leading business process transformation exercise uh, with food and beverage companies over the last 15 years, and I'm here to share some insights on that front. Okay, this is going to be fun. We are going to have a little fun, you know, between Microsoft versus Sage versus many other ERP systems. Thank you so much for being here, everyone. <laughs> All right, Kevin, would you like to introduce yourself next? Hi, thank you, Sam. Hi, everyone. My name is Kevin Dutt. I, um, my background is in uh, sustainability related to uh, food supply chains. Most recently, I was a COO at Legit Fish, which is the leading uh, uh, supply chain traceability venture in the seafood space. All right. This is going to be so much fun. Thank you so much for being here, Kevin. Now, Tinia, I'm actually going to ask you to introduce uh, yourself. And by the way, you are the only one who is going to be really from the agriculture industry. So we are going to be checking on these guys if they really understand agriculture industry or not. <laughs> Would you like to introduce yourself? Not a problem, Sam. Thanks for inviting me. My name is Tania Pina, and I'm the founder and CEO of Renewable. And at Renewable, headquartered in New York City, we basically take food waste from or unrecoverable food waste from food distribution and manufacturing, and we turn it to a number of sustainable technologies for the indoor growing or controlled environment agriculture sector. Um, really looking forward to sh sharing some insights today. All right, amazing. Thank you so much for being here for the first time. So I am going to start with the first question, but before we do that, if you are in the audience and joining for the first time, make sure you guys are going to be commenting and inter interacting with us because we are going to be looking at your questions and we'll get back to you. If we are not able to get back to you during the episode, our panelists are going to make sure that you get your answers. So we look forward to reviewing your comments and questions. On that note, I am going to start with our first question with Chris. And that is going to be, as we have done in this series, Chris, that is going to be the whole field to fork process, how it starts, what is the scope, uh, how many different steps are involved, what are the user journeys that typically touch this process. And yeah, give me the, the lay of the land for this process. Sure. And, you know, depending on which version of ag, again, animal crop, there's so many aspects to it, but I'm going to focus on the one I had the most experience with, and it's around pork. So, you know, my experience with about a billion dollar pork producer for many, many years is when I looked at the systems, it's, there's a lot going on. And if we look at where does it start, and we're going to talk about animal production. And so there's a number of aspects to it. And we think about feed, we think about breeding, and then we think about just growing, and then we think about taking them to market. And you're like, when does it hit the ERP, right? So if we talk about just some of the challenges in the systems I've seen, everything from Let's say they're growing their feed, agricultural crop planning, a lot of aspects to crop planning and typical ERP systems you're thinking about. How do I forecast crops? There's a lot of dimensions in crop planning, agronomy, slope, yield coefficients. So how do you forecast how much you're going to get out of that piece of dirt, right? And even dimensions, farm, barn, pen, 
plot. So there's a lot of dimensions as they're looking at production in these different areas. But so we talk about whether they grow their own feed to feed their animals or just the challenge in buying feed. And one example I saw in this is, you know, trucks are showing up and dumping feed, right? And they got scales and they're clocking them. And that's a disparate system. That's not the ERP system. And the problem that they have there is if you imagine they're receiving feed and they're consuming feed, well, they didn't even get the invoice. They don't know the cost. So there's a lot of challenges in that front end process just to continue to have this flow of feed coming in for the animals. And then there's the distribution of the feed. So if you think about trucking and transportation, that's a whole nother aspect. You typically feed-based systems, transportation management. Well, what if, let's fast forward to feed. Now we're mixing it. We're mixing it with chemicals and antibiotics. So there's a whole medical aspect of sampling a pen or a group of pigs and figuring out what do they need. And so there's custom feed. And oh, by the way, there's a, and even if you have a manufacturing system that'll do process manufacturing for feed, there's yeah. nutritional systems. So now you got to get deeper into allergens and nutritions as your recipe for these animals and they could be sick. And so as we move through that process and then feeding and timing and other services, these animals, so very complex. And then you're like, okay, well, how do you track those? And even going deeper, with pigs is you need an application almost like pig nose because in an ERP grade, I got a serial number on a pig, but there's so much more information I need about that pig as I take him to market. So if you think about these external systems from feed, from scales receiving to feed management, feed recipes, again, we go back to the pig, the pig, we've got medical, you got vet, all the way to the point where we get them to a market hog, we put them on trucks, we truck them out, and then we're getting a feed from a slaughterhouse. So it's even a non-traditional, how do I record my sales? And so if you think about all these different systems and what I'm describing, boy, there's a lot of different processes in there. And I haven't even mentioned many of the other pieces that can kind of show up in there. But there's an example of, of a very complex from a, from a field to fork for pork. And I didn't talk about breeding. Um, I had a specific application I did where how do you make a gilt? And everybody goes, well, what's a gilt? Well, that's a pig that makes pigs. And most of the manufacturing guys go, okay, how's that work? Well, first you need a bunch of baby pigs. You either make them or you buy them, right? So that started somewhere. It's a circular loop, but we get baby pigs. We grow them. There's gestation. And then you get to the point where some of them go to the market. Some of them turn into an asset. Oh, now it's a manufacturing resource that needs to be serviced and maintained and has forecasting and yield. So just as we talk about breeding and feed, I, I think you get a lay that just in the animal grow operations, there's a lot of complexity in systems and uh, processes that surround that. So, and a lot of timing issues, and we'll talk more about that, but that's where I'll start, Sam. Yeah, so this is going to get very interesting because you are talking about pork industry, and I'm pretty sure other folks are going to be talking about a lot of different industries right inside agriculture, okay? Yeah, so agriculture yeah. is extremely, extremely tricky because each of the sub-verticals that you are going to touch, oh, they are going to have very deep intricacies and in that you are describing right now. So, Chris, the follow-up question I'm going to have for you is going to be, you are a big fan of fit gap analysis. And mm -hmm. you know that ERP community, SDLP community, we all like to overcome it. And, <laughs> and uh, when you know a person who is actually trying to get into agriculture industry, they don't really understand agriculture industry. You can tell that they just <laughs> don't know what they are doing here. And they are probably getting into something that they may not know how difficult this is going to be overall from the system perspective, from the process perspective. So when you do the fit gap analysis, have you found any specific feature set that if you are going to say that, you know, standard ERP package probably is not going to work for this one, for these processes. So what are different areas that you have seen that you will flag out in the fit gap analysis? Yeah. And I think that you know, the, the ambition of the organization is what fits into the ERP, meaning right. can you can you get manufacturing of an animal? Can you get crop production and the ERP is a manufacturing forecast? 
you know, there are certain aspects of it that you can manage there, but you're, you're still going to have external systems. And whether they, there's a real good integration path, you're still going to have external systems. And you need to have line of business. But I think that's the biggest thing to, to accept is that a standard ERP is not going to have what it takes to, to manage and plan and forecast crop. It's not going to have what it takes to manage and, and animal development or breeding and so forth. You can configure some of the, the processes to manage parts of it. And I think that's it. Depending on the size of the organization, you're going to have a need for total automation and total integration, or we can have some things that are separate because the volume doesn't drown us. But that volume is going to necessitate as to how integrated the systems are, because it'll get it'll get to the point where you can't manage it. Because if you're taking readings on, let's say you had a thousand head of pigs and you're taking measurements on each pig, every week. I don't even know what the frequency is, but the, the data management and the mobile application requirements and the data needs to be integrated. Um, so a lot of challenges there and small operations. And I think that's why there's been a lot of trend towards bigger, bigger operations because they can pick up that overhead for the systems. They need to run it. Okay. Amazing insights. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So Abu, I'm actually going to come to you for your insights and you do far more work in the agriculture space. And the ERP system that you are trying to implement obviously is designed for the process industry that is going to be far more aligned with the needs of the agriculture industry. So based on the description that you have heard so far, you can agree, disagree uh, in terms of what are the intricacies that you typically see in the engagement that you work with. But describe the scope of the entire process, how many user personas are there, you know, what is the scope of the process when we think about field to fork? Yeah, I mean, so uh, Chris, he talked about the beginning of the process, right, from a uh, from a pork production, right? It has its complexities. Uh, when you go to the next step, you know, for example, to a slaughterhouse, for example, yeah. right, where there, where you're tracing, now you want to trace each part of the pork, for example, right, each part of the goat or whatever feed you have. Uh, you want to, you know, you sell each part differently uh, from a traceability uh, perspective. Uh, you want to track yields, right? So each kind of different animal will give you different yields uh, on, you know, depending on the weight and the size and the kind and the breed. So you want to track all of those aspects, um, you know, in your processes, uh, which, you know, creates more complexity. So even on that front, again, depending on the kind of food industry, requirements vary quite a bit. So for example, if I look at the grain industry, uh, you know, you're on the agriculture, you know, when you're in the production stage, when you store grain, you can have different moisture content depending on the weather, for example. And now that leads to very complicated, you know, not just, um, you know, traceability perspective, but also accounting perspective, right? So you have moisture loss, the weight changes now, the suddenly the cost of the grain that you have changes, right? So, you know, so depending on where on the cycle you are, so, you know, as you move along the food chain, probably in the processing and the manufacturing space, for example, if you're making peanut butter jams or cereals, that's where we are more traditional ERP uh, would fit in uh, compared to, you know, in the beginning of the process, uh, for example, you know, you're breeding pork. So, th so that is, in my opinion, you know, the different complexities that come up in selecting the ERP system. So very interesting insights that I'm glad that you actually touched on the, the inventory aspect of the agriculture this is where I have heard from a lot of different ERP consultants and the business process consultants that it gets really tricky and you really need to know that you are in the agriculture industry. Otherwise, you are really going to struggle. So when you look at, and by the way, I mean, if I talk to my folks in the finance or accounting community, I mean, they have the, the similar comments as well. They typically have the module that, you know, you have to go through farm accounting before you can practice accounting in, yeah. in, in the agriculture space. So now let's say if I obviously you mentioned about the the moisture content, my manufacturing colleagues are probably going to argue that, you know, we have scrap, you know, we can probably mimic the same process. What's so difficult? 
with respect to moisture. So the question I'm going to ask you is, okay, when you compare these cues in the agriculture versus when you compare the, the moisture forces that you mentioned, what are difficulties that anybody is going to experience? Let's say if they are trying the agriculture industry for the first time, how it is going to be different from some of the things that they might be doing in the traditional manufacturing? So, I um, mean, so the the weight of the inventory is changing, you know, it can change over, you know, period of time, right? So compared to, for example, more discrete manufacturing, you know, you have manufactured peanut butter jam, it's, it doesn't change just by sitting over there, right? So the the time to, you know, the, the amount of work, like a traditional, like you have to then, you know, do a lot more transactions to track it. Uh, you know, there's a lot more month end processes involved from an accounting perspective to accurately report the value of your inventory compared to, you know, for example, you're in a traditional, you know, you're making peanut butter jam, for example, you only have scrap when you actually produce it, right? You don't have scrap just because peanut butter is sitting on your inventory shelf, right? Or the peanut, the sack of peanut wouldn't dry automatically, right? So those are some of the differences between, you know, pure agriculture and a more of a pure uh, process uh, oriented uh, uh, facility. And even then on the, um, on the more traditional manufacturing, you know, tracing scrap cannot be, you know, it's not that easy as well, right? So one subsector would be the cannabis extraction industry uh, here in Canada. And there the Health Canada requires you to track, you know, even uh, what's left behind in a beaker, right? So you have to even report those trace elements. Uh, so then, you know, it just becomes a lot of data to capture. Uh, it becomes a lot of data input entry from the front end staff, and those are the challenges you're going to run into. How to trace each and every step across the way. So I can relate with some of the you know fun experiences. I guess you guys must be having in the agriculture industry. To be honest, when you have these quality experiments happening in the manufacturing industry, you can always blame your quality guy that you didn't do a good job. But in this particular case, the quality guy is never going to agree because by the time you're going to perform a quality operation, the weight is already changed. So, yeah. you know, they are going to say the water is gone. What can I do? I already <laughs> touched it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and then you are actually going to be penalized by your regulatory bodies because they mm -hmm. actually care for your the moisture content, et cetera, because yeah. that actually changes your formula, the ingredients. So you mm -hmm. need to make sure that you cannot really go off balance on that. Mm -hmm. Thank you yeah. so much, Abu, for that. Uh, really appreciate it. Kevin, I am actually going to come to you. So obviously, you are probably going to bring the third industry, which is even more challenging, I guess, you know, in the seafood space. So when you look at the field to fork process, how is that going to work in your space? You know, what is the scope? What is the boundaries? Have you seen any specific challenges? Can you relate with the challenges that these guys have already spoken? So yeah, so field to fork process. Yeah, absolutely. So seafood is obviously a lot different in the context of when you're harvesting something from the ocean. Yeah. Um, it's a little different than when you're um, you're picking squash in a field and you know you're going to get squash and you don't end up with uh, some of it being corn. It's, it's it can be you don't really know what the outcome is going to be in the production. And so our our focus and, and my work has been around the traceability aspect of this and the integral part that the ERP plays in that. And um, and what we're we're you know, we're driven by a couple of things. There's a market for people wanting to know what their product is. There's a and there's a and there's food safety requirements that are becoming critical in all aspects of food, and so our job is to really think about is the data and the product coming through in that ERP system through the supply chain actually what it says it is, and the product and the data belong together. And so the challenges on the seafood side really focus on it's very difficult to tell what product is once you start doing things like Abu and Chris were just talking about, which is the yield starts to change when you fillet something. Are those yields 
the acceptable yields? Is 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 the weight loss in a in wheat actually correct? Is should that be or is somebody adding more product from somewhere else that isn't the same product that looks the same, right? And so in the seafood space, there's a lot of complexity around market names, yields, and everything requires rules from a traceability perspective to look in on these ERP systems and say, okay, this product A became product B and C, and product B is 30% of that product A. Is that possible? And there's a there's algorithms and complexities to that that in the seafood industry are really there's even a level of more, a greater complexity, um, but it it um, it really comes down to driving those into into rules that we can then use to trace things all the way through and validate and verify that what it is is actually what it says it is, and that that along with I think I think Chris mentioned this maybe, but the just the pure challenge of digitizing anything coming from one supply one one step in the supply chain to the next is always another challenge, and so. Um, that's, a, that's a hurdle that we're always dealing with. Okay, so very, very interesting insights there. And I don't know how you are going to have rules when there are no rules because rules are always changing. <laughs> so this is probably going to be fun in your industry. So I don't know if you are able to provide any sort of examples uh, when the market names are changing. The point that you mentioned, do you have any specific examples that my audience may be able to relate because obviously they might not be from your industry. So give us some examples of the changing market names and how that affects. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So um, a good example is actually scallops, which in the US are um, the only thing that comes to, to onto land is the mussel. The rest is they shuck and throw the shells and all the waste overboard out at sea. So they, they're separated by the size of them. So a U10 means it's uh, 10 or fewer scallops per pound and a U10-20 is 10 to 20 scallops per pound. And what can happen is somebody can take a, a 5,000 pounds of U1020s and they can actually physically in their processing facility sort the bigger ones and the smaller ones. And now they have uh, they have 2,000 pounds of U2030s and 3,000 pounds of U10s. And the question then becomes, okay, is that is that a rule that's actually allowed to happen or is, you know, and so... And what scraps, what weight, what yield is a, is a is a is possible in that? So all of those rules have to be tied in to make sure that um, that product has become two different things and is allowed to be those two things. And so um, it it creates, uh, yeah, it, it it it's complex, and which is part of the reason why it's, it was it's an opportunity. It's very hard. There's a lot. There are more traceability uh, groups in the agriculture side because it's a little more straightforward. But you get into a lot of complexities with market names as they go along, like that scallop example. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for those insights, Kevin. So, Tinia, I'm actually going to come to you now. As a CEO of the agriculture company, obviously, you have a very difficult job because I don't know how you are going to measure the performance you know, of people because things are changing all the time and they are going to say that, you know what, I didn't do this. Fish is the problem. Pork is the problem. I'm not the problem. <laughs> so, I don't know how you do your job <laughs> because it's going to be terribly difficult. But we are talking about the field to fork process, as you know. So describe us the, the process boundaries, where the process splits, if you have seen any specific challenges, let's say with respect to compliance, regulatory. And if you agree with these guys, you know, you are really from the agriculture industry. These guys are probably trying to pretend. <laughs> so yeah, to fork. <laughs> I appreciate that, Sam. I think everyone, you know, from Abu, Kevin, and Chris all kind of highlighted different 
angles at which data kind of integrity and making sure that there's continuity from one from the input to the actual outcome is um, managed correctly. I'm going to speak more closer to what Chris was relating to in terms of feed or inputs and specifically fertilizer. Um, so in the last 12 months, uh, due to COVID as well as other compounding things such as large um, Urea and ammonia uh, fertilizer manufacturers based in China, Russia, and elsewhere have decided to increase their reserve and therefore means there's less exports of those two predominantly uh, sources of nitrogen, especially for the U.S. That has caused a huge ripple effect for farms in terms of how they're sourcing nitrogen and specifically water-soluble nitrogen because ag um, knows that there's nitrogen that we can reclaim from food waste, um, but that requires a different biological process to break that down into what is the more synthetic chemically manufactured nitrogen. So um, when you look at reserves that are now being constrained globally, that's one huge challenge. And then two, okay, so now farms would like to source more local, regionally manufactured, um, but that's often in the production of what are a manure or more fish-based fertilizers. Um, that is also a source of nitrogen, but it's a heavily fragmented market. Um, it di- differs by volume. The quality of each batch is often inconsistent. And especially for the controlled environment agriculture space, which is why we're in it, you know, they can't use biological or um, naturally derived sources of fertilizer because it's often incompatible with their systems for technical challenges beyond this uh, today's conversation. But, you know, I think where an ERP system could be beneficial is helping these farms forecast and, and be able to do so and looking at the different kind of um, market dynamics at a global level to really be able to forecast 12 months ahead how these supply chain and availability and suppliers and the concentration of where they're located at will impact the price point. Because oftentimes a lot of farms have the following levers to be able to control their input costs. They're looking at annual volume supply, so how much can they actually get? Um, Hopefully they can bank on some year-end discounts from a fertilizer supplier. Three, they're also looking at, you know, if there are ways to be able to amend. So using more custom formulations to make up what they used to be able to source as a pure ammonium source of nitrogen. So there's a lot of complexities when it comes to the sourcing. There's complexities when it comes to being able to source at a regional or local level and how you can amend or make up for lack of what you were formerly able to source due to supply chain challenges. And three, you know, really helping them get real-time data sooner so that they can forecast this out. Because another um, real-time example is in the case, not of fertilizer, but of the grow media or substrate. So in, in these indoor farms, and when you think of vertical farms, they're using things like peat or rock wool, as an alternative for um, soil in these farms. And there's a huge uh, gap in terms of global supply. So they really need something that's gonna provide that data sooner so they can lock in pricing with ideally guarantees um, and work with the best supplier that uh, can provide this. Very interesting insights. And by the way, I mean, see, now you are going to 
see that I am probably going to be struggling to ask questions as well. As you know, I am trying to pretend that, you know, I am speaking agriculture, but now this is a real agriculture that you are talking about. Okay, so, uh, you know, we are going to be touching on some of the things that I have seen in my experience in the food and beverage and the agriculture industry. And you touched on a very important point that, you know, what your SKUs are always changing, your bombs are always changing, your formulations are always changing because, you know, because of the supply chain challenges that you have just mentioned, right? So when you are trying to forecast this capacity, uh, how do you typically do this? And I don't know if you have ERP system right now. I mean, companies are really struggling to forecast their supply chain at the local level when they might be sourcing all of the products at the local level. You are talking about uh, forecasting at the global level when things are always changing. So how do you typically do it right now? You know, how are you managing right now? Yeah, I can speak on behalf of our customers because um, I just it's more relevant to the conversation. Yeah. You know, they it's very manual. It's very making phone calls, seeing which supplier has the amount of volume that can support their expansion, because a lot of these farms are expanding and, and just really trying to be on the dial or the pulse of the market as quickly as possible. The good thing is that there are becoming more suppliers. But for those of us in the U.S., those suppliers are still you know, creating the risk from a supply chain perspective, because they're not local to the U.S. So, yeah, it's a very manually driven uh, phone call often or just looking online for information. Yeah, that's what I've seen as well. Thank you so much, Tina, for that. So, Chris, I'm actually going to come back to you. So now the segment that we are going to open is going to be related to your favorite topic, which is going to be inconsistencies between the systems uh, and the architecture when you are going to be using multiple systems. So in your beginning conversation, you did mention that, you know, you are probably going to be using multiple systems, even if you have the ERP, because you would require a scale that is number one, that is required in most agricultural verticals. And that is probably going to have its own sort of, you know, little data gathering and then that you have to feed uh, inside your ERP. So when you have these multiple systems, so tell us a story where you have seen any challenges related to architecture when they were using multiple systems and they were trying to sort of uh, stitch this process together when you look at field to fork. Yeah, I've seen a couple of them. And, and the one is, is, is Tinia spoke is the, the guy forecasting for his crop, his crop planning. And it was all Excel based. And he started that process in the fall for the following year. And part of it was to that point to really derive the aggregate agronomy requirements and to write big purchase contracts to secure those. But that was a manual between two different systems. And then the bigger one that I started to reference was the feed receiving. And it was just the broken system between the scales and the ERP system and, and how they were actually recording receipts and consuming receipts. And just they they had huge variances in costing because of the way that they were managing their process. Effectively, what they would do is they would hold the transactions until they got the AP invoice before they booked it and committed in the system. And they're like, well, because we want to put it in with the right cost. And so there was there was a manual process that they put in place because they had two different systems. And if they received it at the wrong cost and pushed it through and it was consumed, and then again, they ended up with period problems. But that was that was a big one just in synchronizing and making sure that to the point cost. And I think in the feed spaces of who mentioned the, sh the moisture content and the shrink, right? Hey, he invoiced me for a thousand units. I got 980. Okay, well, where's that delta go? I dealt with that in fuel and volumetric correction factors. But you're right. What they invoice you for and what you receive, two different numbers. And so there's a complexity just in the PO to the receipt to the three-way match. And they never agree. So there's a whole there's a whole set of process problems there as well that people need to accommodate unless the system has a moisture factor in there where it makes adjustments. But um, just a few different areas where just 
not a perfect system. It creates some real manual entries. And again, if you're doing volume, the correcting entries are just unmanageable, frankly. Okay, very interesting comments there. And this is something I have seen in my experience as well. And I find it, it could be slightly brutal, to be honest, for the vendors. Okay, if they are shipping the products at times, what happens is the customers who are actually receiving the product, obviously, you are going to have the catch weight problem, you are going to have a little bit of back and forth there. In terms of argument, they are going to say, you know what, I actually shipped 100 pounds, but you know, you received 99 uh, or 98. So I'm actually going to pay for that. So obviously, you have that back and forth. And then you could actually have the reverse logistics problem as well. Let's say if you are doing anything frozen and if you don't have any way of uh, getting your product back and the customer is going to say, you know what, I don't care. <laughs> Just move it from here, from my place, or I'm going to charge you now because you are keeping it in my warehouse. So, you know, you could have all those problems. So how have you seen these handled in your experience? When you are working with these companies, I said in the example of the receiving ones, we try, we just reworked their process and and convinced them that they should book the receivings upon receipt and and and, and built an integration between the scale and the receiving system, so the receipts actually booked into the ERP pretty much real time. And then said, look, guys, the three way match, the cost shows up. I think part of the argument is what's the what's the default cost it should be booking the receiving at? What was the commodity price? And then we just deal with purchase price variance or cost corrections if that stock was consumed before the actual cost was posted in there. So part of it was straightening out their process. We built an integration so that the, the receipt data was in there and said, look, you book it. It's over there. They can consume it. And let's just deal with cost corrections. And it, it was a, a better process than what they had. They just they just never connected the two. So that's how we remediated that one. And that seemed to have a address that issue for those folks, but it was a timing issue. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So Abu, I'm actually going to come to you and we are super hungry for the stories here. So <laughs> I am looking for multiple stories if you have got any, okay? So the stories need to be in terms of inconsistencies between uh, if you have multiple systems in the architecture uh, or they, if they were utilizing multiple systems. So whatever you have seen from the system perspective, if you have any stories that you might be able to share. Um, sure. I mean, so I mean, I just like to build on what Tiana said, um, you know, on the on the forecasting, right? And that's where the biggest problem comes in because of multiple systems. Yeah. You know, a lot of these companies they implement ERP system to have better supply chain and forecasting, but you know, the question becomes the data gathering, right? So you need to know how, what's the production time at the vendor, how much the how much shipping time. Each vendor has different shipping times. Your own facility has, you know, different. Uh, times at different uh, processes, right? We have to combine all of that data together. And, you know, it becomes a very extremely tough and challenging job. So, when, you know, when we talk to our customers, you know, we talk to them about, you know, why don't you open up your data with your vendors and suppliers, you know? And, you know, it happens in the automobile uh, sector quite a bit where they're more tightly integrated between their suppliers and the car manufacturers. So we propose to them, you know, if you're buying fertilizer and you have a demand in, being captured in your system, why don't you open it up to three or four key suppliers so that they can look into your own system and then, you know, they can adjust their own uh, production uh, accordingly. So those are some of the things, you know, which come up because, you know, you have you do a lot of effort on that MRP, but the data is never accurate because the information from the vendor is never accurately captured in your system. Um, you know, some of the other things that Chris was talking about was from, um, you know, you're receiving 100 grams, but you you know, you got an invoice for 110 grams. It's a very common, you know, again, in the agriculture industry and, you know, outside the agriculture industry as well. So the way we have handled is we, you know, in our system, for example, we automatically do an accounting adjustment entry uh, when the invoice comes in, right? So if the stock is already 
in the system, it has not been consumed yet, then we will revalue the stock automatically. And you know, if it has already been consumed, then you know it goes off to the cost of goods sold, for example, automatically. So again, you know, when you are interacting with different systems, you know, on the in the supply chain, those sort of data consist inconsistencies come up, and the best way would be to uh, uh, develop automated processes to deal with it. The other thing would be, uh, for example, on the food traceability, the, your systems are going to show you the data as good as the data you're entering, right? Yeah. So for example, you're receiving raw materials and you entered the wrong lot number or you mix it up, then you know it's not correct. So what we suggest over there you know, to our customers is to have, you know, test your recall processes, for example, right? Don't wait for something screws up then you come and test it, right? It should be part of your regular business process. And you know that will ensure that you have you know, much higher data quality uh, in your system. Okay, very interesting. So I'm glad that you actually uh, you know, brought in the recall management. Obviously that is going to be a critical piece for any of the agriculture or food and beverage industry. Mm-hmm. So here, when you are going to be testing the recall process and things are always changing, as we know that mm-hmm. catch weight could be, could be a significant problem overall in the agriculture industry because you know things are always changing so when you are testing the process you are obviously changing just the recallability of the issue but you know obviously the recall is going to have i don't know if it is going to have quantity as well if i don't know if that creates any problems have you seen any specific problems with the recall management when you are whatever you are doing during the trial phase is that going to be similar to what is going to happen in the reality as well or do you see any challenges there so, I mean, it depends on where in the f- supply chain. So I can give you, um, you know, example, right? So, yeah. uh, so for example, in the peanuts, you're making peanut butter jam and, you know, you have two different lots of peanuts. Uh, you just need an extra five or one kilogram in a hundred kilogram, right? So sometimes the person on the shop floor may not track it, right? It may go on to waste, right? So those sort of process inconsistencies exist. The, the quantity is not that important. Uh, it's more of the, you know, the lot traceability, you know, what went into it. So that you can, you know, tell your supplier about it, and then the supplier can tell their supplier about it uh, from that perspective. So it's more about the data keeping that is more important, uh, and you know, and the shop floor at the at the production level, at the agriculture floor level, or at the many food and beverage manufacturing facility level. You know, when you're in the rush to, you know, produce the order and ship it out, the data tracking is not necessarily, you know, the most accurate, right? So those are the challenges that you run into. Uh, on the uh, food recall process. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for those insights. Really appreciate it. Now, Kevin, I'm going to come to you. And I am looking for some stories that you have seen, uh, you know, because uh, these uh, multiple systems were used in the process and maybe there were some inconsistencies because of these systems. What have you seen in your experience? Yeah, the, um, oh, they're, they're all over the place. And I think, uh, you know, for us, uh, in some of the work I've done, a great example is... Uh, a very simple one, which is a offloader of a vessel uh, that's dealing in the seafood. Um, he would pay the fisherman the value of the product in the in the in the bag that it came in for the scallops. So I'll stick with the scallops example. And so that bag has a weight of roughly one percent to two percent of the total weight of the product. So then he turns around and would sell the product to somebody else, and it's now uh, 99 or 98 percent of what it was prior. And there are these discrepancies like that, that he doesn't really want to change his process because they, he has a set process with his vessels, sells in a different manner. So it creates this 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 barrier that we have three ways to resolve it, right? We can convince him to change his process. We can 
modify the ERP system to to align with the way he's doing this process, or which both of them can be difficult in kind of the culture <laughs> that we're that you're dealing with often in in the food industry and and in, in, in most industries, right? And so um, oftentimes it's a it's it's a, you know it's the and in this case it was okay we will just we will deal with that discrepancy outside we'll we'll deal with it for you but ultimately we will require you to change the way you do this when you see the value in what we're doing so it, it's it's a very difficult process and it just depends on who you're dealing with and the the the, the way to the best way to go about managing it because it, it is really hard to change people's attitude toward that the other part of this really an example around different systems in different places yeah um, is really you know we I, I doubt we'd had uh, a offloader who had an Excel system and really I think the the you know it was like a green screen computer from 1987 and so you know it but no interest and no reason to really feel any need or urgency to change what they were doing and and the good thing about what the traceability aspect that we were providing did create some incentive for him to to make a change because his customers were, were requiring it of him. So uh, again, it was two systems that you know we literally handheld and managed that that those Excel spreadsheets that they would download every day to the system, and then we would manipulate the data and and not, you know and put it into the format we needed for it to, to align with the ERP data. But that you know that comes about on a regular basis, and it really is a matter of of who like what's the culture of that and how much pushing do you have to do do you handhold them for a while and then let them feel the value and then transition them to the ERP system they should have or not so some of it's really just a soft touch and even though you have these hurdles like that okay amazing so i love spreadsheets obviously they are fully traceable as we all know i mean there is nothing that can go wrong with these spreadsheets right never <laughs> never right okay so uh, we are actually going to be talking about your offloader so when these offloaders are actually trying to do uh, you know trying to receive uh, the good in the system and obviously when we look at the food and beverage industry agriculture industry we want to make sure that it is going to be fully traceable so i am actually going to go back to what abu was trying to actually say in terms of uh, making it fully traceable so typically the way the process works is when you are going to be receiving the good you have to allocate the lot number because that's where it starts and then you know you might have to cross reference it with the some other number that your vendor is trying to send because you need the backward and forward uh, traceability in yeah. the entire process. So now my spreadsheet uh, that is fully traceable here. So how did this guy maintain the, the traceability in this particular case? I mean, did they maintain or were they simply trying to pretend that it was traceable or how did it work? No, there's so there's you really need to have something else then to validate that that Excel spreadsheet from 1987 against. Right. So that's a critical part of the traceability aspect of how much of the ERP data can you believe? And how do you, like, is there something that's, is there a, a reason why that person would want to manipulate that data? I mix product A and B together, call them product B because it's worth twice as much as product A, but you can't tell the difference, right? A organic product is like that, right? So how do you make sure that just because I can't visually tell, and that's for us. It's it's always about thinking about where there are conflicts in reporting that you can use to validate. Where a fisherman has a quota, so they will they don't want to report over report. They have they can't. They'll they won't be able to go catch more product. 
But in the case of the offloader, he wants to report as much as possible. So the two have conflicting interests on what the weight of the product should be, right? So there's a there's a way to validate that data point. Also, the, the vessel reports to the government. So you we have the right to pull that data from the government. And now we have three, we have the ability to also validate against a an enforcement agency that can is looking at their GPS system on their vessel and see where they were, right? So uh, you can build support behind different data points through those those techniques. Now there are certain things you may never be able to validate and say that's an accurate number, but usually you can find ways to do that and then you know use mass balancing within the ERP system that you're tracking in that facility, and you're using chain of custody for every transition from product from processor to processor. So it it becomes a balancing act and each industry is little is different but you can find ways to cleverly validate the data you're looking at okay amazing thank you so much for those uh, insights kevin so chini i'm actually going to come to you and we are looking for a story if you have had multiple system single system whatever process breakage that you have seen because of these systems uh, in your experience yeah and there could be a solution already out here that resolves this i just haven't came across it yet And Jeff, our manufacturing manager, probably has, but I just, I personally haven't encountered it. So we, you know, we, we, shipping is not um, unheard of in terms of challenges. And so we have just-in-time manufacturing, uh, which allows us to have a bit more flexibility on how we, we have shipping costs. And the shipping costs are charged to the end customer. And we can be able to absorb a percentage of that because of our margins, thankfully, but ultimately they're transferred. And so we try to measure or compare against the three shipping carriers. And we have a network of smaller distribution centers around the U.S. that we can leverage to get a higher volume of product to the end customer at a a lower, uh, I would say, percentage per unit in terms of COGS or cost of goods sold. And so um, if there was a solution that would allow us to compare the real time cost or quote for the shipping charge for let's say a gallon of our product. And then we could then take that data point and be able to to price a more, uh, let's say affordable or more cost competitive annual contract value with a new farm customer, then, you know, it allows us to, the impact financially would be, okay, well, we could, if you, given this potential shipping costs, and we have evaluated a set of four different carriers, and this is how we can get it to you on the least, at the least amount of, of times that it would be shipped throughout the year, right? Because sometimes they may have a large one lump sum where they receive the entire annual volume of, of required product at one time, or they may order and have shipped twice a year or quarterly. But if we can evaluate based on the quoted shipping charges across four carriers and incorporate that into our pricing scheme, which would be uh, impact how much they're charged per a annual contract, then that gives us more flexibility and it, and it makes for a better experience with the customer. Um, I haven't seen a solution like that, but maybe one does exist and somehow the audience can recommend one. Yeah, and we are actually going to recommend you one. I mean, we just recommended, in fact. I mean, a spreadsheet is the solution for every single problem. We all agreed just now. <laughs> right? Okay, so the question I'm going to ask you is, obviously, you are talking about the, the shipping cost and the transportation component in general in any Business could be slightly trickier. Typically, when you are talking about the ERP side of processes, you can do a lot more things when you get into the transportation. Typically, in my experience, at least, I mean, the solutions are not really as robust. And obviously, 
for the agriculture or the food and beverage industries, the transportation component gets really, really, really heavy in general. But in your experience, when you are talking about the transportation cost here, because that seems to be a big problem for you, how big is this problem? Because when you compare this with the product cost, obviously product cost is going to be the, the major component of the cost, the freight cost. Let's say if the product cost is going to be 100, then probably you are paying $2 for shipping. But is that a big enough pain in your industry to, to solve this? Um, it is because we have a wet or liquid product. So you're okay. ultimately paying for water. And that's why, you know, the way we scale is we do distributed manufacturing. So currently our facility is in upstate New York. And then, you know, our vision is to replicate it across key states within the U.S. where there's a high concentration of food waste, as well as our end customers. It, it can be. So to give a little bit more granularity, it can be, you know, a 10 to 15 percent hit to your margin just because of shipping costs, which is why we've kind of developed a strategy where, you know, if we do it by multiple units on a pallet shipped to a distribution center that's much closer to the end market, um, it gives us more flexibility and it'll decrease the cost from five. I'm sorry, from 10 to 15 percent down to five to eight percent. Very cool. Thank you so much for that. So now we are going to do a quick round just because we have some time right now. Typically, we are able to manage only two segments, but today we are going to do two and a half. Okay, so the quick round is going to be your favorite KPIs from the agriculture industry. So, Chris, I'm actually going to start with you. Some of the KPIs that you have seen that are very unique to agriculture industries that you have not seen anywhere else. Yeah, the, the big one, um, yield, yields the one that feels like that's more specific there. And then, you know, variances from yield against forecast. Um, so some are just typically benchmarking is do you get the expected yield, the anticipated, you know, crop yields. So whether it's animal yields or crop yields, but that's typically the bigger KPI we're measuring against forecast variance. Do you want to describe a little bit more? Uh, and do you have well, any anticipate that? I mean, yeah. in, in a contextually, if you anticipate, use a crop is a probably easy one. If they anticipate a, you know, simple math, you know, 10 bushels per acre, right? we get 12, we get eight. There's a perfect example of a yield variance that's going to impact your forecast. If you're off by 20% plus or minus, you've got more product, you've got less product. And I think that, but to get into the analytics of, okay, well, why, right? So there's the other part of the KPI is, well, why did it have yield variances? Why did field A versus field B, I got plus 12, I got minus eight. So I think you, you go back to the low level um, dimensions and the other measures that are on a per field. But there's got to be an extrapolation where you've got a yield variance as you can get down to some of those measures to figure out what's different. Is it just soil? Is it just the agronomy? They do a better job there. Is it slope? Is it the type of crop? Is it when they plant it? I mean, there's so many different moving pieces, but that's a lot of complexity just in analyzing yield. Perfect. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, so, Abu, I'm actually going, going to come to you. What are your favorite KPIs uh, from the agriculture industry? I think I'll just build on the same one yield, right? That's, uh, you know, when you whenever you implement an ERP system, uh, in a food and beverage company, that's the first thing they talk about, right? That's the first thing they want to track, right? And that's what scares the consultants because it's so difficult to measure, right? So again, just building on those yield examples in food production, right? So you want to create a 100 gram pack of food, you know, but you ended up consuming 120 grams, right? So you want to trace that 20 grams where it went. So it can be due to moisture loss. It can be lost at machine. It can be lost during the packing process, for example. Again, on the pork or the animal slaughter industry, you know, you have a you have one pork, how uh, one pig, how much meat would, or could you sell out of that, right? So some companies also track it to that level. And, you know, an animal can be sold in many different parts. And, you know, there's a lot of wastage as well in terms of, you know, 
bones and all of that, right? So they, tra they tra track those yields and that's a very complicated process to do it. You know, it requires not only the systems to be there, but also a lot of data entry by people on the floor, right? If you're not tracking that data, if you're not capturing the data at each step of the process, you cannot trace those yields. So, so that's okay. always an interesting conversation. Amazing. Thank you so much. Uh, Kevin, what are your uh, favorite KPIs? Yeah, I think, um, and I'll stick to the seafood side specifically as kind of an interesting, you know, the on the wild harvest side where something is caught can be difficult to really iron, iron down to specifics, especially if it's a government that doesn't have a lot of tight requirements around reporting in different countries. Um, so that always becomes a real challenge to validate from a traceability perspective when you're thinking of it that way. And it, um, so you have to start using tools outside of, you know, even AI and other interesting ways to try to tackle that, like physically auditing lots of product and doing genetic testing and things like that, which is a real, a real deviation from where, where you want to be, which is uh, working within the digital system. Uh, and yield is also for, this, this is really a, a big one as well, because when you're trying to validate something and there's a lot of variability in yield, it's really hard to trace a product if the yield one day is 72% and the next day is 84%. And now you're questioning whether is it really 72% and that where did that other 12% go? Is it mixed in with something else? Right. so the traceability aspect of yield also is a can be tricky if it has a lot of variability. So it, it's an important aspect of if validating what you're what you're saying is true product. Very interesting. So I'm actually going to have a follow-up question on that. So when we look at pharma industry, I mean, pharma has end-to-end -end traceability. They have yeah. to do it. Otherwise, they are probably not going to be in the business. So is in the agriculture industry, are these standards not developed enough that you are not able to trace, let's say, whatever is called wherever, you know, uh, in case of medicine as well, you have to trace where it is manufactured, where it is produced. So you have the entire data set that is actually being transferred from, from one place to the next as you ship the product. So why is so why is that so challenging in the agriculture industry? I think you know, part of it is just requirements, right? And they are starting to change because okay. of food safety. Um, but you actually, it's a really interesting transition. And I can't remember if Abu mentioned it, but you know, cannabis is an actually an interesting transition into the agriculture space because it it's agriculture that's under the requirements of the pharmaceutical world. And so I think that's creating some transitional space to see, oh, here's what agriculture could look like when it's fully digitized and the traceability is really solid and the ERP systems are structured in a way that we can we can trace product all the way through the supply chain. So it is getting there. And I think and I do think that, you know, it's just a matter of time and the requirements are what's pushing it. And I think you're seeing that through food safety and through, quite frankly, people want to know where their food's coming from, which is a lot different than it was, you know, 20 years ago. So it's coming about. And I think cannabis is a, is a very clean transition. It, it, people are trying to see, okay, this is doable and here's how it, it could look. Yeah, I just want to add to that, Sam. So, so there are two different aspects of traceability. You know, one is what kind of product was used. And then the other one is how much was it used, right? So in a traditional food industry, they are more concerned about what kind of product was used, right? So they don't care if you used eight kilograms or five kilograms, right? And in order to tra trace that, you know, track that yield, you have to, you know, at each process, you have to, you know, track it. You know, for example, you're using grain in the process, right? So your stock says, you know, 100 kilograms, but when you actually use it at your, you know, grinding machine, for example, it's 95 kilograms because of moisture loss. 
right? So are, are your systems and processes in place to track that five kilogram loss, right? So you don't really need to, right? But if you want to track it, then you also you need, you know, you need equipment, you need systems, you need people to capture that data, right? So the most, so that's a cost. It slows down the process, and a lot of companies don't want to do that. Compare that with cannabis or pharmaceutical; it's a legal requirement to do it, right? You have to report it to the government, right? So it changes how people, you know, implement those systems. Okay, love it. Thank you so much for that. So Tinia, I'm actually going to come to you for your favorite KPIs. Yeah, I think Kevin um, touched on a point, which is the complexities, especially um, how some of these farms, and I'm speaking to indoor farms right now, where they're using AI and sensors to capture a plethora of data points. But when they need the granularity to understand how much water consumption per plant site or per head of lettuce, or how much um, energy is being consumed per head of product or crop, it's really challenging because the other variables such as system size, your water reservoir capacity, the environmental conditions like your relative humidity and the light spectrum, all changing how much a head of lettuce is going to consume of those inputs or resources, it's really hard to track. So I don't know if there's opportunity for, you know, the sensor companies and the integrators at that level to work with the ERP providers to give more um, granularity there, but it's, it's a little disjointed currently. Okay, love it. Thank you so much. So now uh, we have the time for closing advice. So Chris, I'm actually going to start with you. What would be your closing advice? Sure. And I think that if you're looking at new system selection to run the ag business, you know, and you look at an ERP off the shelf that's not built for the industry, look at the processes that fit, <clears throat> but then really focus on those line of business applications that are going to take your business to that level of detail you need, because you're not going to be able to survive in a generic model. You'll need something, whether it's crop planning or animal planning or breeding planning, et cetera. So that's, that's what I would say. It's going to be a, it's going to be a hybrid approach. You're not going to find one system that'll do everything unless you spend like a lot of money. So anyway. <laughs> Okay, love it. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. So, Abu, I'm actually going to come to you. What would be your uh, closing advice? Two, you know, one, just building on what Chris said, you know, have a more vertical focus, sub-vertical focus on uh, on the system that you're selecting. A lot of those vendors will have, you know, sub-vertical modules. And the other thing is, you know, a lot of companies implement new systems to improve their processes. One thing they don't take into account is the amount of data capture is that is required to improve the processes, right? And there's a cost associated with it. You know, when they implement the systems, they think automatically everything's going to be not data tracked, right? You still have to enter the data for it to produce the value, right? So I think when calculating those costs, also take into account, you know, those, you know, what impact will it have on your human resources to capture that data as well? Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for that advice. So Kevin, I'm actually going to come to you for your closing advice, please. Yeah, I think if, when you're thinking about what type of system you, you really need and, and want, and I think you also need to think about this is a, a very quickly changing world, and it, it's worth thinking, looking forward a little bit and understanding what else may be required of my system, and do I, will I have the flexibility to fit into those, whatever those requirements and parameters may be. Um, you know, things like blockchain are being thrown around like crazy, and how do I, am I adaptable to these different uh, requirements or just market demands that are going to happen in the next few years? And think about that as you as you make a decision. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Kevin, for that. So, Tinia, I'm actually going to come to you. What would be your closing advice, please? Yeah, I, you know, I think it's really important that new solution providers work with the farmer from day one and really, you know, every day hands on, because I think the problem is a lot of these solutions are conceived in a closet, right, and introduced way too late. Um, the second thing is, biggest 
uh, concerns for farms these days are shipping costs, labor costs, and there's a third one that I can't remember right now. And if your ERP system or solution can help remove a middle person or address those two concerns, you're going to get their attention. If it's not, it'll be less prioritized. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much for the advice. And that's it for today. If you uh, joined for the first time, this was part of our digital uh, transformation series for which we meet every Thursday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern. We pick one topic related to digital transformation. So make sure you are not going to miss next week's show. We are going to be here. On that note, I want to thank everybody for their time and insights. Thanks, everybody. Nice meeting you, gang. Thank you. Thank you, likewise. Thank you. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Chris Garadini, head over to turnkeytech.com. It's C-U-R-N-K-E-Y-T-E-C.com. If you want to learn more about Kevin Dutt, follow and connect with him on LinkedIn. If you want to learn more about Tinia Pina, head over to re-noble.com. It's re-nubl.com. If you want to learn more about Abu Asif, head over to pennymanagement.com. It's p-a-n-n-i-m-a-n-a-g-e-m-e-n-t.com. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Gabriel Panescu, CEO of Now Logic, who discusses the nuances of the agriculture and poultry business and how the manufacturing processes are different from other industries. Also, the interview with Paula Courtney, who shares how companies can take advantage of the customer centricity framework to improve their financial performance. Also, don't forget to subscribe and to spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.